Amen. You guys enjoy worship? Yeah. yeah? I love this worship team. I love, uh, I've nicknamed him Worship B. Sorry, I don't know if I was allowed to share that, but it's, we got a thing going on. <laughs> worship B. Uh, you guys uh, enjoying going through the book of John? Yeah. yeah? Two of you? All right. Awesome. No. <laughs> no, I love, I said it last week, I love uh, the book of John. Today we're going through John chapter 3, which is just, it's so difficult to go through in one week. Uh, the title of today's message is, is Good News for a Change. And we, uh, we hear all the time, we hear, uh, you know, fake news, real news, bad news, breaking news, where the news comes first. Uh, but none of them claim good news. When was the last time you turned on the TV? We got good news, right? Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. But we have good news here in the book of John. And this is, this is the scope of this scripture. I think we need to understand it because this is like the Magna Carta of the Bible, not Jay-Z, but it is the Magna Carta, the Holy Grail of the New Testament. All the millennials understood what I just said. They're like, Jay, what? Uh, the prayer of Jabez? Um, so let's read it. John chapter 3, good news for a change, starting in verse 1. It says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Verse 4, how can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born. He is clearly confused. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, You must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound and cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Verse 9, how can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher. Another version would read, you are the teacher of Israel. Jesus said, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but, uh, but still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Let's pray one more time. Father, I thank you so much uh, for this word. I thank you for, for the Bible. I thank you for your son. I thank you for these people who are here today. And we just pray that you would take all the glory in this place and that you would be lifted up and we would step out of the way so that your glory can be seen in our lives and in our hearts today. We bless you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. Now this is, the, we gotta understand like what's going on. This is like, this is, we have Nicodemus and we have Jesus. We have the teacher of Israel. We have the God. We have all of this. This is like the epic meeting. It's a lot like the meeting coming up between, uh, it may or may not happen, between Kim Jong-un and President Donald Trump. Now, um, this meeting is supposed to take place. This is like gonna be the epic meeting of the year. Like we got nuclear weapons involved. Dennis Rodman is involved. It's like, it's gonna be crazy, right? So the only thing these two men both need in order to make this meeting a success is a good barber. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't pass that up. So, <laughs> I mean, okay, I'm not even going to go into like, just look. Yeah, a good barber. 
So we have Nicodemus in this meeting, this epic meeting, and he's, he is, he's confused. We see Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, he is confused, and he's stuck somewhere between what we like to call FOMO and FOGI. FOMO. My family suffers. We have this problem. If somebody's doing something, we want to know the fear of missing out. FOMO. Okay. We have this problem. If somebody's doing something, we want to know what's going on. FOGI is the fear of joining in. Those are the two things that Nicodemus is somewhere in between because clearly we see from the text that he comes to Jesus and he says, I know that you're a teacher. We all know this. We know that your work, that God has sent you, that all of this stuff is happening through you. We know there's something about you, Jesus. I don't want to miss out on it. I'm, I'm stuck though, because I also don't want to join completely in. And, I, and I, I'm coming to you at night, the Bible says. He comes under the cover of night. So he's somewhere in limbo, somewhere stuck in between FOMO and FOGI. You guys are going to take that and like start tweeting it, right? But he's somewhere in between, and I believe that that represents us. I believe that's, we're, we're somewhere in between the fear of missing out on what God has for us and who God is. We know who he is. We know that he's, he's great. He's a good father. We sing the songs, but we don't want to go all the way. We have this fear of, of joining in, so we're somewhere in between. We have, we're, we're stuck in this limbo, and I think that represents us pretty clearly. And when I think about Nicodemus, I think about, I think about religion. And we're going to do an activity. Let's play a game. Um, we're going to do this. I'm going to show you a picture. This picture right here. I love this picture. This is American Gothic. When I think of religion, I think of these people. Okay, he's got the pitchfork, got the suit on. She doesn't look too happy. Got no makeup on, right? So this, I want you to... <laughs> what? Okay, so... We're going to do this. I want you to look at somebody. I want you to take 30 seconds. <laughs> We're going to do activity. I want you, in five words or less, describe stereotypes of religious people. Look at somebody. Go. Tell them. Go tell them. You got to get involved. Okay. Okay. Tell me then. If you don't want to tell them, shout it out. What do you got? What, are, what, what, what comes to mind when you think of religious people? Judgmental. Judgmental. Thank you. We're breaking the ice. I love it. I love it. What else? boring wow they said that the first service too boring that was like wow hypocrite manipulative wow this is getting real um what else anybody in the back what do we got uptight i love it close-minded wow these are good these are really self-righteous Woo! real today it's getting real those are those are all good those are when i think of religious people that's Pretty much all of those, I would throw in some other ones with some expletives and whatever, right? But that's in my past. We're not going to deal with that today. We will later. Um, but Nicodemus was, was a Pharisee, and I think we, we view Pharisees in this negative light, and I need, to, I need to clarify some things about who the Pharisees were, specifically who Nicodemus was. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees lived by the strictest possible religious rules. They were often considered the best people in the country, and there were never more than 6,000 of them at a time. They were known as the Chanukka, or the Brotherhood. They entered into this brotherhood by taking a pledge in front of three witnesses that they would spend all of their lives observing every detail of the scribal law. Now, they're good people, and they follow these strict, strict laws. Now, we're going to talk about the strictness of these laws, and you're going to be like, what? Thank God I'm not a Pharisee, okay? The Torah, 
The Torah is the first five books of Moses. It has 613 laws written in it. That's a lot of laws. Now, that is, that is just what God gave Moses. Those are the, the laws that we need to follow that are written in the first five books of the Bible. Uh, the, the Mishnah, let me just read this for you. The Mishnah is an, it is an explanation of the Torah. Okay, listen to this though. In the Mishnah, the, uh, the sex chapters of not doing anything, that's not even a law. Like keeping the Sabbath just means you rest. There's 24 chapters on resting. That's crazy, right? <laughs> Think about that. And then you have the Talmud. So the Mishnah explains the Torah in depth, okay? And then you have the Talmud. There are two different types of Talmuds. There's the Jerusalem Talmud and the Babylonian Talmud. The, uh, the Jerusalem Talmud has a section explaining, ju- again, just the Sabbath law that runs to 64 and a half columns. The Babylonian Talmud runs to 156 double pages explaining just one law, the Sabbath. 156 double pages. So you have an explanation of the explanation of the detailed law. And it was the Pharisees' job to follow every single one of those, not only just the law, but the explanation and the explanation of the explanation. That was their job, okay? It was what they thought to be true. However misguided a man might be, he would have to be deeply devoted in his beliefs in order to take on such a task. And this is precisely what the Pharisees did. Now, let me give you an example of that. To tie a knot on the Sabbath was considered illegal, okay? Sailor's knots, and if you were a camel driver, those type of knots that were tied with two hands were considered illegal because it was considered work. Now, however, if you could tie a knot or untie a knot, even to untie those knots was considered illegal. If you could untie or tie a knot with one hand, then it was perfectly okay, okay? Follow me here. But suppose, uh, okay, so let me, let, me, let me back up here. A woman may tie up a slit in her shift and the strings of her cap and those of her girdle, the straps of uh, of her shoes or sandals, the skin of wine and oil. But suppose a man wished to let down a bucket into a well and draw water on the Sabbath day. He could not tie a rope to it, okay? Unless he could do it with one hand, but that was pretty difficult. However, he could tie that knot to a woman's girdle and then let it down into the well and draw water because that wasn't work, right? Are you with me on how detailed these things are? So you can't tie your shoes, but you could tie a knot to a woman's dress. Okay, that, that, wow. I just thank God that I'm not a Pharisee. So anyways, the Pharisees were the, the purists of the day. Everything that they did, all of these laws were basically bringing God into their culture and society, or so they thought. And this is their whole quest. It was for truth. It was for the law. It was for what God spoke back to Moses And they were not always seen in a negative or hypocritical light. And we see that from Jesus' explanation of of certain Pharisees in Matthew 23. And evidence indicates that Nicodemus was deeply sincere in his quest for truth. The overall theme that is represented here by the Pharisees and especially by Nicodemus, self-effort. Everything that they did was their doing, their will, them trying to accomplish it. It was self-effort. And that, I believe, represents many of us today... And we are, we tried to make it on our own. We have the career, we have the family, we do, 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 do. And all of this is pointing back. And there's two things that we need to take away from John chapter three. First one is the power of the spirit. 
There's a brand new connection. Verse 6, Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Jesus comes along and as he's doing the law and not doing what he's supposed to, he's doing, 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 and following these strict laws, Jesus comes around and he says, there's a connection to the spirit of God. The spirit of God that is to come, the same spirit that I am, I am going to release into the earth. And there is a connection. And if you read the New Testament, I'm going to go through this. We're going to have it up on the screen. It's kind of small, but check this out. We are convicted by the Spirit in John 16, born of the Spirit in John 3, sealed by the Spirit in Ephesians 1. We bear fruit by the Spirit in Galatians 5. Also in Ephesians 6, we use the gift. We pray in the Spirit, Ephesians 6. We use the sword of the Spirit, in, also in Ephesians 6. We use the gifts of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12. We preach in the power of the Spirit. We're led by the Spirit. We're comforted by the Spirit. We know the fellowship of the Spirit. Do you see a theme here? The Spirit of God. And I think a lot of us, we get kind of weirded out when we talk about the Spirit of God, we talk about the Holy Spirit, right? He's not just, first of all, he's not an it. He is he. He is God, right? And so we need to understand who he is. And Jesus is telling Nicodemus that there needs to be a connection. We need to be born and connected through the Spirit. And this is what he's trying. He just is completely lost and baffled by what's going on here. There's this connection that Jesus is telling me he just doesn't, he just doesn't get it. Have you connected to the Spirit of God? And some, so often we just omit the third person of the Trinity, and we're talking theological things here, but the Spirit of God is God, and he walks with us every single day, and Jesus is telling us today that we need to be connected to the Spirit. There's a new connection happening. In the second part, there is a, a, a brand new start that Jesus is speaking about. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, back in the day, this wasn't a common phrase. Growing up in church, you, see, you hear that all the time. Hey, I'm born again. I'm born again. Hey, hey, cool. We're both born again, right? That's, it's normal here. But to, to Nicodemus, this was a completely foreign concept. This wasn't, he's thinking only in the physical. And I can just imagine, because my mind goes there sometimes, like, and I think his mind went there. He was like, hold up, Jesus, now what you're telling me, okay, let me envision this. My, I'm old, so that means my mom's really old, and you want me to go where and do what now? That's gross, right? Like, no thanks. This is what he's saying to Jesus, and he just doesn't get the concept. And Jesus is telling him that there is a brand new start. And we need to understand this is kind of the, the theme in the kingdom. The kingdom of God is backwards. In order to live, you must die. The last shall be first, right? The, the least is the greatest, and those who are weak are made strong. See, there's a theme in the kingdom of God that we, it is, it is reversed of what we know. And God's way for us is this. We are reborn in our spirit. Jesus is saying, you need to be reborn. And then you're going to work on your mind. I'm going to work on your mind. And then you will have a repurposed body. Our way is completely different. How many of us want to, and we see this and we've done it ourselves. On January 1st, we go to the gym and we make a gym membership. I'm going to work on my body. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to get the abs. I don't have that, but we're going we're gonna to try to fix our body first. That's what we start with, this new way of thinking. It teaches us our, our way is fix our body. Then we're going to think of the right things, and we're going to fix our thoughts and whatever new religion is out there, and then I will have a new spirit. It's the opposite in the kingdom. First, it's your spirit. Then it's your mind. Then you have a repurposed body for what God wants you to do. It is God's job, not our job, to fix us. 
Amen? Okay. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body in that order be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe there is something inside of us, a, a, a desire, a yearning for the spirit world. I believe that God created us as spirit beings. We're not just flesh and bone, but there is a spirit, there is a, a desire inside of us to have a connection to something spiritual. And we see this with the, the Harry Potters, with the Star Wars. May the force be with you. There's some, what's, what's the force? I want the force. Ah. And then there's all these, all these different um, superheroes that come out and they all have this special power. There's something inside of us that our culture is screaming out. If you don't realize it, you need to wake up. You need to realize that the, the, the culture is screaming out for a connection to the spirit. And I believe that we're somewhat misguided in our culture today because God created us to be connected to his spirit, not to the force, not to, to Hogwarts and all that stuff, but to the spirit of God. And there's a biblical explanation in Ecclesiastes 3.11. It says, he has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. That means he put eternity inside all of us. And because of our sinful world, we're blinded. And so we reach out and we try to find all of these other things. But God is saying today, get connected to my spirit. He is the source. He is the one that will sustain you. And he is the one who created you. The question is, when it's all said and done, was your self going, was your creating enough? Or have you come to know the power of the spirit of God and have him work in your life? Because we need to ask the question, and I believe that's what Jesus was telling Nicodemus. He's saying, you're doing, you're doing, you're doing, but you're not connecting to me. You may have all the religion in the world, but you're not connected to me. The second part of John chapter 3 that I, I believe we need to understand is the plan of salvation. And I will go ahead and, and read this. Jesus continues in verse 13. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. This is the one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. That's good news. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who, hate, who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. This is good teaching here. But, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that they may be seen plainly, what, that it may be seen plainly what they have done has been seen in the sight of God. Salvation involves focus. Jesus says in verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life. Now, if you understand, I'm not gonna like make fun of millennials because it's really easy to do. Um, <laughs> sorry, I just made fun of myself. But we need to understand, generally, generationally, millennials are the most caring, sharing, and staring, okay? They're the most caring in their compassion. We have 
this drive to change the world. We have all of these social justice marches and all these things that we want to we wanna go out and do these things, right? We care about the world. We're the most sharing. We see that in Uber. We see that in Lyft. We see that Airbnb. Come stay at my house for a nominal fee, you know, like for a nominal fee. I'll share as long as you pay me. But, and we're also the most staring generation. We are all staring at screens. And I don't care how old you are or how young you are in this room, every single one of you right now is a millennial, right? Here's my, here's my proof. We have three screens behind me. If I, if I didn't have these screens behind me, you would all say that I was boring because you couldn't watch with your eyes. There's, we're all staring at something. And yes, physically, we're staring at things. We all have our phones, our iPads, whatever we're staring at. We're watching all these movies. We're, we're looking. But, but spiritually, I believe we're all staring at something as well. And it may not always be the correct thing that we're staring at. Last year, my wife and I had an opportunity to go on a, a, a pretty long hike. It was a section of the Pacific Crest Trail. The trail goes from Mexico to Canada. Um, definitely didn't do the whole thing. But um, yeah, so we did, we did a section that was 60, 60 miles. And uh, we did that in four days. Yeah, we're beasts. I know. Uh, no, so the first day, uh, we're getting used to the, the altitude, we're doing all this and that, you know, enjoying nature, we're, we're struggling, drinking all our water way too early. It was a great time. We're out in nature doing all this stuff, the birds are chirping, squirrels are running, eagles are eating squirrels, it was just awesome, right? <laughs> so we're up in the mountains doing our thing, and we come around this corner, and we had already been out there for probably five or six hours hiking, coming to the end of our day, and we're enjoying what, what's going on. We got all this stuff happening. Everything, the trees and the, and the smells, everything's just beautiful. We're so in this moment, right? We come around the corner, and we hear this yelling. At first, we thought it was kind of like music. We're like, what is that noise? It was real distant, real far. <clears throat> and we hear this. We, we, we get a little bit closer, and we're like, okay, what is this? Is that singing? Is there like a, a Christian youth camp going on out in the middle of nowhere? And we're far from like civilization, right? We hiked in there. There's no roads. There's no, and so we're like, is that people? We get a little closer. Oh, it is people. Okay, cool. There's other people out here. That's cool. We're not alone, right? And uh, so we get a little closer and it gets louder and louder. And it's like, all right, I have no idea what that is. And then we finally hear that it's two women, two women yelling. And we're like, all right, cool. Two women yelling in the woods. It's no big deal, right? <laughs> okay. So we didn't even focus on that. We weren't even like paying attention. We, we heard it. There was noise. There was all this stuff happening. And we're just walking. My wife's probably 20 yards in front of me. And we're coming down this hill with all this noise going on. We're still so in the moment. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, about 75 yards away, a mama bear. Good Lord. And it's standing on its hind legs, swatting at the air, right? And we see two cubs, and it's just, right, walking like this. If you've ever seen a bear on its hind legs, you know it's not normal. It's not okay. There's something happening, right? And so I yell out, bear, 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 bear. Right? My wife is in front of me, and all I could do is freeze and just yell, bear. That's all, that's all I thought. In my mental, it just stopped, right? I'm no longer in the moment. Whatever is happening, the eagle's eating squirrels. I don't care about that. I care about this bear because there is a focus, boom, on the bear. And so I've never seen my wife move that fast. I'm going to be honest with you. I try to get her ready in the morning. I won't even talk about it. I, I love you. Uh, so she went from being 20 yards ahead of me to being behind me holding onto my arm so tightly 
I was like, get off of me. I'm going to get my pocket knife and stab that bear in the face. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so uh, I froze, and it was just like, uh, what do we do? And so we kind of we stood there, and the, the, the yelling dissipated, and the bear ran off finally. But there was a moment where I had to understand, yes, I am here. I'm enjoying this. But there is something that I need to focus my attention on. And that's a lot like us in church today. We're here. We're praising, praising God. We sing the songs. We read the scripture. We're doing all of what we need to do. But Jesus is standing at, on his throne saying, look at me. I am Jesus. Look at me. There is a focus that needs to be on Jesus and Jesus alone because there's so many of us who have been, become distracted. We're in the religion, just like Nicodemus was. He was doing the right thing, but he wasn't focused on the right thing. And I believe salvation requires focus. Are you watching? The question is, are you staring at the right thing? What are you staring at today? Are you watching your kids grow up without staring at Jesus? Are you watching your career? Are you watching the years pass by? What is it that you're staring at? Is, it, is the focus directed on Jesus? Have to, that's what I believe he wants us to understand today. There is a moment in our life where we have to understand, yes, our religion is good. There's, there is good religion. There is helping the widow and the orphan. There is you know, coming to church, all of this. But it's nothing if it's not directed at Jesus. Understand me today. Our religion means absolutely nothing. Just like Nicodemus came to understand, it means absolutely nothing if we're not staring at the one who created it in the first place. Are you with me? Salvation involves faith. Believe and receive. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Listen to this. Longfellow could take a worthless sheet of paper, write a poem on it, and make it worth $6,000. That's genius. Rockefeller could sign his name to a piece of paper and make it worth a million dollars. That's capital. Uncle Sam could take gold, stamp an eagle on it, and make it worth $20. That's money. A mechanic can take material that's worth only $5 and make it worth $50. That is skill. An artist can take a 50-cent piece of canvas, paint a picture on it, and make it worth $1,000. That is art. And God could take a sinful life, wash it in the blood of Christ, put his spirit in it, and make it a blessing to humanity, that is salvation. That is salvation. For God, the greatest possible power, so loved the greatest possible passion, the world that his greatest, the greatest possible people that he gave the greatest possible price, his one and only son, the greatest possible person, that whoever believes in him, the greatest possible prospect, shall not perish but have eternal life, the greatest possible promise. This, and I love who Jesus was talking about of scripture because I always imagine who Jesus was talking to. You, you know, the first thing when you get saved, you, you understand John 3.16 and you memorize it, you get your memory verses. And I never understood the context of this scripture until just this last week. Jesus wasn't speaking to a man who wanted nothing to do with God. He wasn't, Nicodemus wasn't worshiping some false idol. He was well-intentioned, pursuing the sinful world, pleasures of this world. He was educated. He was well-intentioned, and he wanted more of God. But he was self-sufficient, operating in his own efforts, trying to become self-made. That's who Nicodemus was. Jesus reveals the power of the Spirit and the plan of salvation to the man who seemed to have it all together. 
the man who seemed to have it all together. It wasn't the lowest of the low. It wasn't the drug addict. It wasn't the gangbanger. It wasn't the person out on the homeless person. It wasn't all those people that Jesus touched and healed during his ministry. The one where he reveals the mission statement of God is to the person who seems to have it all together. The person in the church today. He's speaking to us. Jesus reveals the plan of salvation and the power of the Spirit to us. It's the one with the career, the family, the one who goes to church, the one who knows the word. Nicodemus knew the word. And Jesus is revealing this to him. And I believe he's saying to us today, there needs to be a transformation. You've been doing, you've been coming, you've been singing, you've been doing all of these things. There needs to be a transformation. The question is, how do I receive transformation? And again, this is for us in here. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, another promise. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Listen, I wanna invite the worship team up. Listen here. The most important step a person can make is not their first step. You ever go into somebody's house and the first thing you see hanging on their wall is their birth certificate? Never. How many of us have our birth certificate on the wall? We have our birth certificate in a file. It's not the fact that you were born. It's the fact that you're living. Every single one of us has pictures on our wall of life. That's what God wants. It's not, it's not our first step. So don't live and don't say stuck in the fact that you were born again. That's good. There's proof of that by the fact that you're here today. That's great. That's the first step. That's not the most important step. And also, it's not the last step. Your last step is not the most important. The most important step you can take today is your next step. So the question is, what is your next step? What is your next step? Will it be in your self-effort? Will it be in you doing? Will it be in, 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 in what you have for your life, your plans, your career, your family, you trying to accomplish getting all the achievements? Or will your next step be in surrender to Jesus? Because I believe that's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. He said, you had it all together. You know the word. You know everything that you're doing. But still, there's something missing. There needs to be a connection to the spirit of God. Salvation begins with Jesus. And your next step is made in surrender to Jesus. So what is good news for a change? John three seventeen. I love this. Yes, John 3, 16 is great. Look at this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Isn't that good news? It's not based on what we've done or haven't done because all of my efforts fall short and all of my sin obviously is terrible. But God did not send his son into There is good world, but to save the world through him, hallelujah, that is good news. There is good news Turn the TV off and open up the Bible because there is good news occurring, right? We fall short. We fall short of the glory of God. We cannot measure up to God's standards. The good news is that Jesus decided to step out of eternity, out of perfection, and wrap himself in a human body and come and live a perfect life. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. We operate and work in sin, so therefore we get paid in death. That's this world that we live in. But thanks be to God that he came and he lived a perfect life and he died the death that I deserve so that I could live with him 
forever and ever in eternity. That's the simple gospel. I think so many of us want to add to our religion. We want to add to what God has already put in front of us. We want to add and we want to achieve. We want to do. We want to join different teams and ministries and do, do, do. And I believe God is saying today to us in church today, are you connected to my spirit and are you born again? Would you stand with me today? And as you're standing there, I want, I want you to just close your eyes with me. And this is the thing that I want to ask. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I've never truly accepted Jesus into my life. I haven't truly made him the Lord and Savior of my life. I haven't fully surrendered to him. I've not, I haven't given it all to him. I remember when I was in high school, I was leading Bible studies. I was doing this. I was doing that. I would go to conferences and raise my hand to receive Jesus because all my friends were doing it. And that's cool but it wasn't authentic. And I believe the spirit of God is here and there is a moment that we can have. And if you raise your hand and say, I wanna accept Jesus, this is not a public admission of your guilt. This is a public admission of his greatness. And if that's you today and you say, you know what? I wanna receive Jesus. I want you right now to just lift up your hand. If that's you today and you say, I wanna give my life to Jesus. I see your hand. I see your hand. Awesome. I see your hand. God is so good that he would die on a cross in our place just so that we could have freedom. The Bible says that it was for freedom that he set us free, Galatians 5.1. The reason Jesus died for you, so that you could be free from yourself. You can be free from your self-effort. You can be free from your own doings, all the mistakes you've made. All the things that you try to accomplish on your own, I believe God saved us from ourselves. And the second thing I want to ask, have you made a connection to the Spirit of God? Those of you who are Christians in this place, maybe you've been living your life and you say, you know what, I need to walk with the Spirit of God every single day. I need His help. I need His counsel. I need His direction. I need the Spirit of God in my life because I've been trying to do it on my own. Yes, I'm saved, but I need the Spirit of God here in my life. If that's you, I want you to just lift up your hand. If you're a Christian in this place, you want the spirit of God to come invade your life, to come and help you, to come and guide you. Awesome. There are hands lifted all over this room. My hands included. I want the spirit of Jesus inside of me. So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much, God, that you would lay your life down for us. You love us so much that you would take our place, God. We don't have to die the death that you died. We can live with you forever just by believing and confessing with our mouth that you are Lord and that you raised from the dead. God, we thank you. I pray for every single person that raised their hand that you, Spirit of God, would come into our lives, empower us to walk this Christian life out on the daily basis. God, empower us every single day we wake up. Fill us with your presence. Fill us with your glory. Fill us with your word so that we can walk this thing out and be a light to the world, God. I thank you so much for what you're doing in this church. Empower this house to do what you have called us to do. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody say, amen.